Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of Gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm joined by Alex Hogan. He is the founder of Chem History, a testing lab out in Oregon. How are you doing today, Alex? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you on the show today, uh, discuss something that... You know, I have I have a little I've had a couple of interviews uh, here in Michigan with uh, some testing guys, so I uh, got the base. But uh, let, let's kick this off with you. I, what's your background? How'd you get started in the space? Uh, well, I'm basically an entrepreneur. Uh, I had a son that um, is a scientist that was working in a lab, and then he got a job actually working for. Um, Agilent Technologies who provide equipment to labs, so they, they sell the mass spectrometers. And a little over three years ago, uh, my son had been talking about wanting to open a lab and he was looking for different um, ways and opportunities for that to happen. And we had heard about um, that there was a rule change or, or actually a law that had passed in Oregon for testing for cannabis. Um, and so we saw the opportunity and, and we'd be on the ground floor with, you know, virtually no competition at that time, maybe one or two other labs that had been in the market for maybe just a year or so. And we thought, hey, let's go for it. And that's basically what we did. Uh, that was about uh, three years in business as of next month. So it's, it's, uh, it's, been, it's been a challenge, but um, it's starting to finally... Um, take hold, which is, is what we're uh, what we've been hoping for. So, tell me a little bit more about what you guys do. Uh, what do you test? What do you test for over there at Chem History? Okay, so in Oregon, Oregon has the most comprehensive testing regulations on cannabis. I think pretty much anywhere in the country, if not the world, um, we basically test for, for a full panel of pesticides. About sixty of the most commonly used pesticides on cannabis. Uh, we obviously test for potency, and we test for residual solvents and terpenes. Um, so we we do we do test for all the um, when we say potency, all the different cannabinoids such as like THCA, CBDA, you know CBGA, um, THC. V, you know, CBDV. There's a bunch, a whole bunch of different cannabinoids um, that we test for, but but mainly the ones for regulation are THCA, which converts to delta nine. So we, we, we test for delta nine and THCA, and then CBDA and CBD, which are the activated components of what, you know once you basically uh, burn uh, the plant or the compound, it turns into delta nine or the activated part of the product. So in, in your experience thus far in, in the years that you've been in business, have you been uh, asked more often to test for terpenes? Is that, that, that's become a kind of a, a hot thing, you know, that, that consumers want. So have you noticed a more demand for that sort of testing? Um, yeah, it's it's been off and on, but definitely um, there is a huge movement towards terpenes because the terpene profile is is basically the aroma of the plant, um, and that is really the signature of what makes something a skunk versus you know like a sativa or an indica or a hybrid. You know, so it basically. Um, is more of a signature than, than you would find in just 
testing for potency. So you, you don't really know. There's there's only other other ways. Is they have some kits I think that have been developed for um, figuring out the DNA of the plant that sort of thing. But um, ultimately, what what makes you know. There's really no way of saying this is a sativa or an indica other than you can maybe tie it to a um, terpene profile. So yeah, I mean the terpenes, the more and more people find out about them, the more popular they become because they do have medicinal values to them. Um, and uh, it's really interesting to see, I mean I'm, I'm amazed every day at all the different strains that come into the lab. Of, of the different smells, I mean, it's crazy how 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 amazing some of them smell and how you know how stinky some of them smell too. So I want to I want to I do want to back up a little bit. You you said that your son's background is uh, he's a he's a scientist, and um, so what was the process of setting up a lab when you personally didn't have uh, that background yourself, that knowledge? Um, it was, it was a learning curve. I mean, I, I, like I said, I'm an entrepreneur. I've come from owning my own business in the past. So it wasn't like I just, you know, jumped into a running my own business from nowhere. I, I, I've had multiple businesses in the last 30 years. And so, you know, you go through your due diligence, you write your business plan, you, you, uh, you write down your, your pro forma, all the costs that you're going to have to spend, all the equipment, all of this, all of that. Um, and then you decide if it's based on that business plan, if it's viable for you to jump in. And, um, at that time it, it looked, looked really good. Um, but what we found when we first jumped into the market was when you jump into an unregulated market. So there was a law that was passed, but there was no infrastructure from the government um, to enforce the law and or to regulate that law. So what you ended up with is you had a whole bunch of people that jumped in at the same time, um, which is what happened here in Oregon. And we, when we bought our equipment, we, we bought it based on that law, which says you have to test pesticides at 100 parts per billion, right? So you have to go out and buy what they call a triple quad um, most, most labs that do, you know, basic pesticide testing, they have like a single quad in order to get down to that level of detection, you have to have a triple quad for the Oregon law. And we were, we were only one of two labs that actually even had that equipment. Um, and so what ended up happening was these other labs jumped in to the market and they didn't even have the equipment to even test for pesticides, but yet they were passing everyone um, when they would come to their lab for a pesticide test. So anyway, it was, it was crazy. It was a really hard time for us because we, you know, we would see pesticides all the time and we would fail people and they would not be our customer anymore. So they would go somewhere else where they get a pass. Right. So, um, we had to, you know, adjust to how the market was playing at that time. And it was pretty brutal the first couple of years because um, when you had labs that didn't, you know, that weren't regulated, that weren't accredited, um, they could literally just rubber stamp stuff. Um, and you hear those stories, and I, I really think a lot of those stories are true, you know. 
Um, in fact, I know they're true. Being here in Oregon for those first couple of years, it was it was kind of brutal with having to compete against labs that basically could just shortcut everything and put out a really super cheap test and just kill the guys that are trying to do it right. So luckily, um, voters in Oregon voted the rec law in and then the regulation was funded by the, the law. And so it was about a year of planning through um, you know, different committees within the government to come up with the laws and they finally kicked in last October. So we became accredited by the state of Oregon um, through, they call them the TNI standards or they call them the Oregon Lab Accreditation Program. It's a, it's a, a really tough accreditation to get. It's, it's even more tough than you would get from a lot of labs that just have what they call the ISO certification, which is like an international certification for labs. But um, you, you really have to run a tight ship. Um, so anyways, to make a long story short, we, we were stuck in this market that didn't appreciate what we were offering at that time um, because, you know, everyone wanted to just basically get the highest number on their test and they wanted to get a pass on their pesticides. So whoever could do that the best, you know, basically was winning. Um, but unfortunately, a lot of those dudes were didn't even have the equipment to do it, right? So um, now that things have shifted gears, uh, only accredited labs can actually test for um, the cannabis industry here. And um, we can charge basically a fair price um, and we can we can actually make money now where before we, you know, the first two years of business, we, we lost you know, we lost a lot of money and it really sucked. We, we thought we were going to have to go under, but luckily we, we weathered the storm and, and here we are. So with what you initially purchased to set up the lab, was that enough to meet the eventual demand or have you had to expand since uh, you opened your doors? Yeah. So the first, you know, the first two years, the first year, it just ended up being me, my chemist, and we had an assistant, and then we, that we, that was pretty much it. There was like just three of us, three or four of us that just, you know, tried to get out there and make it happen. And it was tough because again, you're competing against, you know, a market that didn't want to pay for a real test. Um, and, you know, didn't even, wasn't even investing in the infrastructure at all. So, um, yeah, we, we set up our lab, um, you know, we, our original investment was about $250,000. And again, we bought the, we bought the equipment that was needed to actually support that particular law that had passed. But unfortunately, again, it, it didn't, it didn't go down that way. But, um, you know, we have, we, you know, just to stay in business and to, and to grow the business, we, we, you know, three or four times that original budget. Um, and we're now finally paying back, um, the original um, monies that we borrowed basically to get the, the lab open. I mean, we, you know, not all the money is borrowed and I wouldn't suggest people borrowing money to open a business in general, because that's tough to have that hanging on your back and you have, you know, it, it takes, you know, it takes a couple of years to, to really, to get your feet, you know, on the ground and, and get the business rolling. And a lot of times if you strap yourself up front with the debt, it's gonna, it's gonna hurt you. So we were lucky enough that we, had you know a wise enough investor that allowed us to stay in the game without having to you know try and pay that money back right up front 
So I want to talk to you uh, a bit more about uh, the current industry and testing issues out in Oregon. But before we do that, we're going to take our first break. This is the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfall. This episode of the Gondrepreneur.com podcast is made possible by Name.com, a global provider of domain name, web hosting, and email services. Every successful cannabis business needs an online presence, and every successful online presence begins with a domain. From your website to your email address, a good domain is easy for your customers to remember, it looks nice on a business card or billboard, and it reflects the true identity of the project it represents. It's important to reserve your domain early on when you are starting your business, as you may find that the .com address for your preferred brand or concept has already been taken. If somebody has already purchased the ideal .com for your business, they might be willing to sell it, but if they aren't, you may have to get creative with one of the new alternate domain extensions, such as .co, .club, .shop, or even .farm. Reserve your domain name today at name.com slash gondrepreneur. If you are a domain name investor or venture capital firm interested in acquiring or advertising premium cannabis domains, go to the Gondrepreneur domain market to browse a wide variety of names, including strains.com, cannabismedia.com, mj.com, and countless others. Discover branding opportunities for your next startup and learn about listing your premium domain names for sale at gondrepreneur.com slash domains, sponsored by name.com. Welcome back to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfold, here with Alex Hogan, founder of Chem History. Uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, you know the, some of the struggles that you had uh, getting your uh, business off the ground, and congratulations that you you know you didn't go under. That's especially how important testing has become in the space. Um, I want to talk to you a bit about the the regulations that that went into effect earlier this year. Um, by by all accounts. Those regulations uh, ended up creating product shortages uh, because, as you said, there weren't enough uh, test. There weren't enough testing facilities. So, um, what what was your experience like during that period when you, you know, were going through through the when you were going through the initial steps when they re, when they rolled out the new rules? Yeah. So ultimately, what happened, which was part of the reason why it. it created the shortages is was um so the state of oregon decided that they were going to allow the uh the oregon lab accreditation or the the entity that the state uses for all the labs the environmental labs here in oregon um to be accredited through they were going to have them do the cannabis part so the only problem was is that again they didn't fund that program to really you know, be successful. So they, they, they didn't increase the employee loads or anything. And so when we were trying to get accredited by the state of Oregon, it was really, a, I don't know how else to say it, it was a shit show because their people that they had working for them were working so hard and so much overtime and the state wouldn't pay their overtime. So, you know, when we were supposed to get accredited, one of the lead people called and said, well, uh, I'm not working today because I'm not getting paid overtime. 
And we're like, really? Because we're losing like thousands of dollars every freaking day and the whole industry is going to crap because you guys can't get over here and get, get us audited and get us going, right? So it was really, really stressful. Um, so right, actually as of right now, there, there is a bill that I think just passed yesterday that's going to fund the Oregon lab accreditation program so that there can be more oversight for laboratories here in Oregon for cannabis. And, you know, uh, that's really what needs to happen on a, a national level is, is, you know, if states are going to jump in, they, they really need to, you know, have lab oversight because there is a lot of pressure that's put on the labs, especially in the cannabis industry, because, everything is driven by that number, right? So everyone wants the highest number they can possibly get, right? 30%, you know? Um, and, you know, they get 12%, they can't sell their stuff very easily. So everyone is, is just totally driven to make, you know, their stuff, their cannabis 20% or more. So the stuff, you know, I've worked with so many growers, if they, if, and they, they grow all these different prototypes and, you know, if they don't, if they don't test over 20%, they just basically get rid of them. Right. Um, so it's, it's really driven, um, by that, which is unfortunate because there's a lot of strains that test under, you know, 20%, um, that are really nice strains and they have really nice terpene profiles and they, you know, people that smoke them, you know, they love them, but the only, but, but when you're in the dispensary and someone walks in the door, they're looking for the highest number, right? So it's crazy that way. Uh, I think there should, you know, there, they've been, there's been talk about ways of maybe curbing that number thing where there would be like, you know, a low, medium and high kind of thing. It wouldn't be tied to like here, 21.2, you know? Um, so that, that is the one thing around the cannabis industry that's, that's, that's a little stressful is, you know, um, people always think their stuff is, you know, higher than it is. Now, there's no way it could be, you know, 14%, you know, um, and anyways, exactly. And, uh, I mean, there, there is variances in, in the labs in the sense of, you know, we're, we're, we're still not totally standardized, meaning, um, Yes, we do take a proficiency test twice a year and we have to fall within 20% of what that known value is that, uh, of the people who provide the proficiency test. But ultimately, there's a, we're allotted about a 20% variance. So if you, if you had a 20% you know, uh, flower, it could easily be 24% or 16% depending on how well or how not well someone extracted and put it on their instrument and then came up with that number for you. So, um, you know, there, there is that. So, um, you know, when it comes to the pesticides, um, that's a whole other ball game. Um, pre October, um, those first two years, you know, we, in order to compete in the marketplace, we, you know, we offered an extended pesticide product for all of our growers, but no one, there was maybe one or two growers that really felt like it was important and they, and they did it right. They, they went out and they, they, they upgraded, paid the extra money, had the profile, but 
But in order to compete in that market that I was telling you about with all those other labs, we had to cut our pesticide list down to almost nothing. So we were only really testing for like maybe 10 pesticides because again, you, you know, if someone fells, they're just going to run over to the other place and get a pass. And there were, you know, now that's all stopped. So in this market with the regulated market, everything has to be reported through metrics. And if you get a fell, you're done. You, you basically have to, there is, there is going to be some chance for people to remediate their products, but ultimately you have to destroy it if it can't be remediated. So it, it is um, a game changer and it has worked. So where we would see tons of pesticides pre, you know, pre-October, now the fail rate for flowers is probably about 10%. And then on concentrates, it's about 26%. Where pre-October, you know, you know, if you failed your pesticide test, you'd go run and make it into oil, right? Um, and then you, you'd find a lab that would pass that, you know, uh, for you and, you know, you can get rid of your stuff. But now, um, you, you know, you can't do that. So you, you really have to take your growth seriously and you really have to not use those pesticides that are on the list. Uh, you're going you're gonna to fail and, and it's not going to feel good and you're going to lose a bunch of money. Does Oregon require the testing of heavy metals? No. No, do they think, don't. Do you think that's a problem? Um, I think it'd be, I mean, I don't see it as a problem, but, you know, if you're growing somewhere where there's a lot of heavy metals in the soil, I mean, I guess you, you might want to do that, but uh, I don't see, you know, if you, a lot of these guys are buying super duper soil, you know, and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I really don't, um, you know, see that um, as you a problem. You, you don't see a real risk associated with that, is what you're saying? I don't see it, but then again, it, it could be out there in different areas of the country where, you know, if you're growing outdoor and you've got high levels of arsenic or some other uh, heavy metal in your soil, it could potentially be a problem, but... Generally, I think most people are doing indoor grows and they're bringing their soil in and, um, and they're bringing their organic stuff, their organic soils and stuff. I, I don't see it as a problem. So when, uh, when I toured a lab here in Michigan, one of the things that uh, got the, uh, the guys there really excited was uh, they had found this strain that had just incredible high levels of CBG that they had never seen before. And so what's kind of the, the strangest profile that you've seen? Have you seen anything that sort of you looked at the numbers and you're like, wow, that's really different? Well, the high levels of CBG could be because CBG is a precursor for THC. So it could be they harvest the plant too early. And that's why they're seeing high levels of CBG. Um, but there, there are certain strains, you know, obviously there's the high CBD strains um, there are some strains that have high levels of THCV, and there's still a lot to be learned about THCV. It's, a, it's, it's another part of the compound that, that, as more research is done, has you know some really good medicinal values. There's um, the CBDV, which apparently has some really good medicinal values as well. Uh, we do see some strains that have high levels of that, uh, but generally, you know. Uh, there's quite a few CBD strains that are really good that are producing high levels of CBD like um, oh, critical mass and there's there's a bunch of them out there but what's happening in Oregon now is uh, 
they're allowing the hemp farmers to get rolling. So they have, there's quite a few strains in hemp that have high levels of CBD. And, and that I think is going to be a game changer as well, because these guys can grow crap loads of hemp. Um, and produce lots of CBD products. Um, and is that going to have to go through the same testing process? Yeah. So here in Oregon, they did they did do that just recently. They they are making it so that um, the hemp the hemp testing regulations are going to be covered by uh, the cannabis regulations. So it, it you know it's a little bit tough because again the the pesticide testing is is. Uh, it's tough because you can't really use pesticides, you know, at all. Um, and it's, you know, you know, 90% of the market, you know, when you go to the grocery store, it has pesticides on it, right? But in cannabis, in Oregon, you, you can't have it on there. Otherwise, you're, you're going to fail. So how are you, are you guys preparing yourself for now, you know, an influx of another product that you're going to have to test? Yes. Yep. We are. In fact, we're, we're already testing for them. Um, you know, it's, it, there's quite a, there's quite a few people that are out there that are doing it. So we're, we're already seeing, you know, quite a bit, um, starting to test. So that's, that's cool. So I want to talk to you a, a bit more about uh, public policy and, and, and testing, but before we do that, take a short break. This is the entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm TG Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gondrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis-friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Alex Hogan, founder of Chem History out in Oregon. Uh, so I wanted to ask, you know, you touched on this a little bit earlier, um, 
what, in your opinion, should public policy include in newly legal states with regard to testing? We've got Mass coming online, Maine coming online, Nevada coming online. Uh, so, you know, what what are you? What would you advocate in those states with regard to testing? Going with your experience, having gone through Oregon's shift and and that sort of thing. Yeah, I would definitely look at your. Uh, most commonly used pesticides on cannabis and I would definitely include those as part of the regimen for testing because when you figure there is uh, you know the wholesale value of most strains are you know around two thousand dollars a pound and retail is four thousand dollars a pound um, if you if you find yourself in trouble when you're growing um, and uh, you know you find all of a sudden you got spiders all over your your plants or you got powdery mildew all over you, you you're looking you know you're looking really fast and hard for something to use and uh, a lot of times people are just tempted to do it and unfortunately some of that stuff uh, is not so good for consumers it, um, example is microblutinol which is eagle 20 um, it works really good you know um, you just dip your clone in a the roots in there and you, you're not going to have any fungus problems. You're not going to really have any powdery mildew problems. Um, but that is one of the ones that when you smoke it, it does turn into a poison. And I think they, it sets really super similar to cyanide. So you really don't want to be smoking that stuff. And that is that, that one particular pesticide we see all the time. And it was really super popular uh, before pre-October. So, you know, you know, pe- you know, people use pesticides and they, they, they kill the neurological, you know, uh, of the pest, you know, so they go after the neurological brain or whatever of the pests of the pest. Right. So you got to figure if you're smoking that, it can't be good. Right. So is there any anything else that you see a lot of that, you know, maybe aren't included in uh I mean, Oregon's, Oregon's really strict, right? Would you suggest that other states follow Oregon's example, or is it too strict? Um, well, I definitely think there could be some happy mediums. So, you know, there, there are some considered, like, organic-type pesticides that could be used that can't be used, Um so I do feel like there there should be some give and take there, meaning there should be the ability for these growers to use some of these pesticides that are considered, you know, organic slash uh, not harmful. Like some of them are just basically like bacteria um, that that just basically work on you know, different things on the plant so that they're, that keeps the plant stronger and healthier, but they can't use them. So they, I will, I will applaud, you know, Oregon growers because they've innovated and they, they figured it out. Right. So, you know, a lot of these oil companies that are doing extractions now are, are testing clean oil and that's, that's not an easy thing to do. I mean, they were saying in California, they did some, you know, samples off the shelves down there and they had them tested and like 80% of them would, would fail on the organ regulation. Um, so, you, you know, you can just see how 
you know, it's easy to grow with pesticides, right? I mean, it makes your job way easier. So, you know, it really takes a seasoned person who knows what they're doing in order to, to, to really get that super duper bud that doesn't have to have pesticides on it. So, I mean, I, I would, you know, I think they, they just need to get the, the right minds together so that there can be allowed some of these ones that are um, considered safe and, you know, natural, so to speak. Um, so pretty much what organ growers are using now are, you know, good pests, meaning good bugs, um, and they're using, uh, like, cinnamon and garlic and you know different teas that people brew that can you know be sprayed on the plant you know that kind of thing so um you know they there is a lot of nutritional stuff that they feed the plants that help them stay strong so um that's another that's a whole other topic but uh you know we see some crazy good bud come through here that you're just like how do they grow that (laughs) Um, do you think that there's a way that, that legal states, you know, maybe, uh, industry associations, um, you know, things like that. Do you think that there's a way that they could create a national standard for testing? And do you, would you support, uh, that sort of action? Yeah, I think that's actually happening right now. And I forgot the the name of the the organization that's doing that, but, um, yeah, I think it's, I think that's actually happening right now. Um, what would be nice is, you know, for, for instance, right now we have to use these standards that we buy from basically two different companies and the standards are basically, you know, the known amount of THC or CBD or whatever, uh, we're testing for. Um, but you know, they charge us like, you know, you talk about racket, it, it comes in a one mil vial, which one mil is like nothing right yeah and that's 160 bucks oh for wow. one meal and 40 percent of it is is uh, basically uh, methanol right so it's like are you kidding me that's like sixty thousand dollars a gallon and you know we have to use those every day in order to do the testing so it's like and and basically if if the if the government, the federal government would declassify it as, you know, this illegal thing, then we could get the, you know, a more potent slash uh, standard that we could use to be more accurate in our testing. And it would be so much cheaper because, you know, um, right now in order for us to get anything better, we would have to have a, um, a license from the state uh, for like controlled substances. So we'd have to go out and get like all this extra stuff and it would be and crazy and you'd have to go through all this extra thing and no one's doing that because it's just ridiculous. So, you know, if, if they could get that part figured out, um, that would be very helpful for the laboratories. Do you have any insight as to the program that's been working on, that's being worked on presently? Um, yeah, it's a national um, organization. I'll have to find who they are. I can't remember. I, I could find out though and let you know. Um, do you know what's Do you know what sort of things are included in that at all? 
Um, I think it's going to be like for potency testing. Um, I'm not so sure about pesticide, but you know, potency is the big one. Um, so there's going to be, you know, standard, you know, methodologies that, you know, would come about, but it is, you know, most of the labs for potency anyway, I know here in Oregon are doing pretty close to the same thing. Uh, for pesticides, I don't really know if everyone's doing exactly the same thing. Um, I would probably guess no, because we do still see variances between labs on pesticides. Um, like we'll, we'll do retests for certain labs and they'll do retests for us. And we, we definitely do come up with different things. Right? Is, that, is that a way to keep each other honest or? Yeah. I mean, we do it because, you know, the growers are allowed if they if they get failed, they, they're allowed to take it to another lab, but if they get failed twice and they're done. Okay. So if, if they do get a fail, they have to have actually two other labs pass them in order to get a pass. Oh, wow. Um, well, what advice do you have for cultivators, dispensaries, and manufacturers when they are submitting products for testing? Well, one of the things we came up with just recently, because there was so much pushback from the industry um, come October 1st, that they were basically going to gut the organ regulations, right? Um, but there has been a lot of public outcry the last two months because they were going to gut those rules. So what we did in anticipation of that is we created a, uh, a seal for our product called Canacheck Approved. Um, it's a consumer's choice seal. And, you know, we are prepared to offer that um, in case they got the, got the law. So we've already talked to most of the people we work with now. And the reality is consumers want pesticide testing. And so we're, we're going to sell people in fact, the laws are going to come down tomorrow, so we're really anxious about tomorrow about what could happen because they kept it really tight knit, which is really kind of weird that they would do that um, when they're talking about overhauling the whole thing and maybe even put labs out of business. We don't really know for sure until tomorrow, but um, that's one of the things we've been kind of stressed out about, uh, and that's why we came up with this program called Canacheck Approved. So we we. We are offering other labs in other states. We can teach them um, how, because, you know, it's not, cannabis is really tough to test pesticides for. I mean, it's it's a, such a dirty, uh, when I say dirty, it's, it's such a complex matrix because it's so sticky and it really messes with the equipment and the instruments. And it's not easy. Um, and that's why in Oregon, there's like 20 labs for cannabis, but only six of us right now are doing pesticide testing because it's difficult. You know, we, we spent a lot of money, um, with, you know, consultants, um, that do pesticide testing, um, to come help us develop our methods. And, and it, like I said, it, it, it tweaks the instruments. So we are constantly having to maintain and do maintenance on our instruments because of how dirty the cannabis matrix is, especially for concentrates. Cause you got to figure concentrates are 10 times more concentrated than flour. And it's that much stickier. I mean, it's so sticky, it's ridiculous. And so, you know, putting that on your instruments is like terrible. So t what this can check approved program, can you tell me more about, about, you know, what that is? So yeah, what we're what we're gonna do is in in a, in a lot of the trade magazines, uh, like that consumers would find at a dispensary, we will have basically an ad 
talking about the seal, that they should look for that seal on their product. Because the bottom line is if you don't have that seal on your product, there is a good chance you're smoking stuff that has pesticides on it. So if I was a dispensary owner uh, slash grower and I was doing it right, I would want that seal to set myself apart from the guys that aren't doing it right. Because especially in these new markets, there's going to be a ton of dudes because, you know, it just is what it is that are going to jump in. They don't know what they're doing. They go somewhere. They're told that this works, but they're not told that it has this in it. And then they use it. It works good. But if someone tested for it, it would probably have high levels of pesticides in it. And then and then the consumer basically loses. Right. Um, and they don't even know it. So that's why the county check approved would be such a good thing is that you know, if consumers, all they have to do is look for that seal and they, they, they have the peace of mind knowing that it's been tested. Now, some of the things that we run into is related to that is, you know, there's a trust factor, right? So once you leave that grow site, even now, there's nothing to say that they couldn't bait and switch that whole product. So what we've developed is a, is a random shelf test so that we'll go back in after the fact um, once or twice a year and pull, you know, buy their product right off the shelf and then test it just to make, make keep people honest. That's a really, really, really smart idea. Yeah. Yep. And it's what consumers want. Absolutely. It is. Um, so finally, can, can you tell me, uh, Give me, give me what, what would you tell entrepreneurs interested in getting into the testing side of things in the cannabis industry? Um, it's really important to have good employees. I mean, that is, wow. I mean, and you, you really need people that know, you know, because especially the first two years, you, you need people that are going to be team players and you need people that are committed that, that will do it, um, you know, it's like I said, that's probably your number one deal. Right. And you really want to, you know, I, I don't know if I was going to do it over again. It's tough because I didn't have a science background. My son had a science background, so I did have that, but you really got to, you really got to get in there and find out what's going on because you don't want to be in the dark and you don't want to have people holding a gun to your head because they know more than you do. Right. So you just, you just, you know, you just, you know, got to be really, you know, careful and really, you know, knowing that this is what you really want to do. And you got to find the right people because you don't have the right people. You, you don't have nothing. So I, I, I really want to thank you for uh, taking your time, uh, taking time out to uh, join us on this podcast. Really, really enlightening stuff. And I'm, I'm really hoping that the, uh, the, 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 the consumer drive for, uh, a clean product is uh, is not curtailed by by the legislature with this upcoming vote. Yeah, me too. I mean, we're we're uh, we're praying today. <laughs> well, thank thanks again for for joining us on on the show. Okay, yeah. Well, thanks for having me. Good talking with you. You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. This episode was engineered by Jeremy Sebastiano. I've been your host, TG Brandfall. Gontrepreneur.com.